0: Hey everybody, this is James Knoll. I just wanted to pop in here and thank you all for listening to The Hive, chapters one through four. Chapter five is about to come up. It is titled, Make the Hive Great Again. Uh, if you are interested in listening to seasons two and three, you can tune back into this podcast for the next couple of months and I'll be releasing them chapter by chapter. But if you can't wait, you can listen to it on Audible or wherever else it is that you download your audiobooks. Or you can go to my website, www.jamesknoll.net, and you can download them there. Uh, if you download it for me, I actually make more money on it, so of course I'll advocate for that. It's still the same quality. Actually, it's probably better quality because I release mine as WAV files and not MP3s. Um, but uh, Season 4 is now in production. The actual no- novel, uh, or, or I guess, it's, oh, there it is. There's Sasha. She's very angry. Uh, Season 4 has already been written. Um, I'm just going through the process of of producing the audiobook. Um, That should be done in about a month or two. But no matter what, uh, no matter how you listen to it, I will continue to produce all of the episodes of The Hive and more. uh, Coming up after The Hive is done, probably in the summertime, I think, Uh, I'll be releasing the Topher Trilogy, Raleigh's Prep, Tracker's Travail, and bur- not Burn All the Bodies, um, Topher's Ton. Those will be coming out uh, this summer. You can support me on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash And that's pretty much it. So thanks once again for tuning in. And without further ado, Episode 5 of Season 1 of The Hive. Make the Hive great again. Daddy didn't like to use dogs for hunting. Said it took the sport out of it. It wasn't like we didn't like pets. Daddy had sparkles. I had number 22 on occasion. I understood why people fond all over theirs. I liked playing with my friend's dogs, man's best friend and all that, but more than half of running a farm included taking care of animals. And when the day was done and we'd taken off our boots and hung up our overalls, minding a pack of hounds or a litter of cats was a surefire way to drive yourself insane. At least until the day I met Maggie May. This is the story of when I went back in time and was saved by a dog. Best thing about living in the country during the apocalypse was not having to rely on the county. Need clean water? Dig a well. Want to pee indoors? Fix you up a septic system. Want to cook with gas? Well, you're out of luck. We did have us a wood-burning stove, at least. It wasn't all butterflies and puppies. When the power went out, we lost about a month's worth of fresh meat and I couldn't watch TV anymore. I didn't miss it all that much, but every now and then I got the urge to catch an episode of Star Trek or watch the news. One time I went right up to the set, pushed on the button, and stared at the blank screen for a full minute, wondering why nothing was happening before I realized what I'd done. Old habits was hard to break, I guess. One morning about a month after Daddy got sick, I woke up early to make breakfast. I stocked the fireplace with oak logs and mesquite chips and brought the flames up let it get the cooking surface nice and hot. When the water I flicked at the pan sizzled, I poured some hemp oil on and got the cooking breakfast. Daddy liked his eggs sunny side up. I liked mine the opposite. I opened the stove door when I was done, let it warm the cold night away, and ate my eggs in silence. And when I was done, I put my fork down and wiped my mouth with the back of my hand and sat there looking at the empty seat on the other side of the table. Daddy's knife was sitting in its sheath where his plate should have been, I picked it up and took it out, running my finger along its edge. He kept it primed and ready to go. I tried to imagine what he would have wanted to do that day. Man, we should check on the fence. Make sure it's still up and working. You think it's broken? I don't know, that's the point. You take the west field and I'll take the east. Don't you think we should stick together, you know, all things considered? Yeah, well, we need to get her done fast and get her done faster. This ain't the only chore we got to do today. Oh, Daddy. Oh, Daddy, nothing. You go ahead and get your gun and get dressed and get out there. Back then, I would have grumbled my way through the morning. Now I'd give anything to have that conversation again. An hour later, I was out in the west field, limping along the fence, checking for breaks in the line, checking the posts, checking the terminals. I came prepared. My gun was holstered on my belt on one side, Daddy's knife in its sheath on the other. It had been a wet summer and an even wetter fall, and the ground was soft and dangerous, filled with dips and holes. I nearly wrenched my ankle in one of them, and the third time I slipped on a slick of grass, I started to worry about my executive decision-making abilities. I needn't have worried. The wet weather made my leg ache and my ankle throb, but other than that, nothing else was amiss. When we put that fence up, Daddy was only thinking about the Max coming to get us. The threat was real, and the fence was a great way to cut it down. It didn't matter how many tentacles they spewed out their mouths, nothing fried a body better than a jolt of juice. But now I came to understand that the macs weren't our only problem. What if a hive decided to make an appearance? We thought they were dropping in from the sky, but it turns out they were also coming up from the ground. There wasn't enough voltage in that fence to give something that big more than a little pinch. I was about as far out from the house as I could get when I thought I heard something. I stopped and cocked my head to make sure I wasn't imagining it, and there it was again a dog, a barking dog. To understand how exciting that was to me, you need to understand that. Other than migrating birds, I hadn't heard or seen a wild animal since the hives hit. I looked to the left and the right, and a moment later, I saw it. A large, sleek collie running along the edge of the forest, barking and raising hell back and forth, back and forth along one spot. On his third pass, a tentacle whipped out and brought it down with a yelp and a whine. Happened so fast, I actually jumped back. Uh-uh, I thought. Not today. I turned the power off at the terminal and squeezed between the lines. It wasn't any easier going in the grass beyond our fence, but I did my best. I already had my gun out, even though I didn't exactly know what I was going to do with it yet. Shoot the tentacles, I suppose, but what if there were more than one? What if this was a trap? What if there were more Macs out there, waiting in the woods? The dog yelped again, and I put on more speed, but my bones were throbbing, and each step made it ache deep in the marrow. By the time I got there, the poor thing was all wrapped up in a green, slimy tentacle that had popped out of the ground. It coiled around the old boy like a boa constrictor, leaving only his head and legs free. He still had some fight in him, though. As the head of the tentacle slithered out from underneath, it made the mistake of getting too close to his mouth. He growled and showed his teeth, and when it grazed his muzzle, he snapped his jaws and sank his teeth in as deep as they would go. The tentacle head tried to whip away, but the dog's jaws were rigid. I couldn't let it go on any longer, so I clicked the safety off my gun, aimed at the base of the tentacle, and fired three times. I hit it twice, and the tentacle loosened from the dog's body and whipped its head out of her jaws. The dog got to his feet but didn't run off. "'Go on, boy!' I yelled. "'Get! Get out of here!' He must have only spoke Russian because he didn't move a muscle. In fact, he looked downright angry. And even though his ears was pressed to his head and his tail curled between his legs, his teeth were still bared and his eyes dilated so wide they looked all black. That tentacle whipped at him and he snapped at it. I fired my last two bullets at the base.' It must have been enough for the fool thing because it started to retract, slowly at first, but gaining speed until the last of it sucked into the hole with a wet slurp. I looked over at the dog. He was in a state, fur all dirty and tangled and so skinny that I could see his ribs. He stopped the dirty hairy routine once the tentacle disappeared and took to wagging his tail and letting his tongue lull. I holstered my gun. You're welcome, I said. He didn't reply. I turned my attention to the tentacle hole. Hadn't seen one come out of the ground like that without a full hive close behind. I was out of bullets, but I still had my knife on my belt. Daddy's knife. I took it out of the sheath, crept up to the hole, and leaned over, seeing if I could catch a peek inside. I don't know what I was thinking. Knife wasn't going to do no good. I guess I was just curious. I put my face right over it. You stay on in there, you nasty old hive! The dog barked. That's right, me and Dirty Harry. A cloud of green gas spewed out and hit me square in the face. I fell back, gagging, and then everything went black. I woke up in a room that was my room and wasn't my room. I don't know how else to explain it. There were my posters, my records, my record player, my books. But everything seemed a bit... off. It was too clean, too bright. And when I sat up, I saw that someone had opened the curtains so that the sun poured in through the window. I pulled the covers back and saw that I was wearing a pink chiffon nightgown that weighed about a ton. The thing was buttoned up to my neck, and I was surprised I hadn't sweat off ten pounds in the middle of the night. I got up to look out the window and gasped. I wasn't on the farm no more. I was in the city. A woman pushed a stroller on the sidewalk in front of the house, and a man carrying a wire basket filled with milk bottles tipped his hat to her and smiled as he passed. A boy with a sling filled with newspapers rode his bike down the middle of the street, swerving to avoid a barking collie. An old car, baby blue and about the size of a whale, turned the corner and honked and waved at a man in a business suit, leaving the house across the street. Amanda May. I turned. Mystified, it was a woman's voice. Kind of reminded me of, Amanda May, hurry down here before your breakfast gets cold. Mama? I walked over to the door and opened it. And when I stepped out, a little girl nearly ran me over. Watch it, sleepy hand! She yelled. She sprinted down the hall singing, Amanda's late for school, Amanda's late for school. Ruth Grace Jet, you stop teasing your sister and come eat your breakfast. I walked slowly down the hall and paused at the top of the stairs. A woman was standing at the bottom. She was fully dressed, hair done, makeup on, wearing a dot print dress covered in a frilly peach apron. Amanda, she said, why are you still in your nightgown? You're 30 minutes late. You're going to miss the bus. Then she bustled away. It really was my mama. She'd been dead for almost 10 years. I just don't know what's gotten into her, I heard her say. Then a man replied, and I nearly jumped down the stairs. I turned the corner and went into the kitchen and stopped short. Daddy was sitting at the table. He was wearing a blue short sleeve button-up shirt and thick-rimmed spectacles. His flat top was stiff with crew cut, and he was more clean-shaven than I'd ever seen him. He took a bite of white toast and a dollop of grape jelly plopped on the napkin he'd tucked into his collar. Amanda may rise and shine! How's my little peanut? Get enough sleep? Daddy? Daddy laughed and dabbed his lips with the napkin. The one and only. You're not... Not... Not what, sweetie? Not bad looking, right? He laughed and Mama chided him with an O oh, Bill. I nearly ran across the kitchen and gave him the tightest hug I could muster. I wasn't going to let him go. Not ever. Whoa! Daddy laughed. Okay, okay. Careful, Manda. You're going to choke me out. I loosened my hold on him. You're here. Well, of course I'm here. Not for long, though. Don't go. He peeled me off and held me at arm's length. What's gotten into you? He asked, not unkindly. You okay? Yeah, I'm just... I'm just real happy to see you. Well, ain't you just the sweetest pot er, or peach? Daddy, why are you dressed like that? He looked down at his clothes. You don't like my outfit? No, it's fine, but... Don't you think you'll get dirty on the farm? Farm? Yeah, you know, with the goats and the cows and the chicken and the plants and the you-know-what. No, I don't know what. You feeling okay? Mama, I think she's sick. Let me see, dear, Mama said, and came over and put her hand on my forehead. It was cold and smooth. She feels fine to me. Daddy stood up and took his napkin out of his collar. Speaking of late, Mr. Sokolov's going to be mighty peeved if I am. Bill, mind your language. Yes, dear. He gave her a peck on the cheek. Off to the bank to make our millions, he said, and kissed me on the top of the head on his way out of the kitchen. Amanda May, sit down and eat your breakfast, Mama said, steering me to the table. And where is your sister? Ruth Grace! Ruth Grace, you come eat this instant! I missed the bus, so Mama had to give me a ride. Ruth Grace was not pleased about that turn of events. No fair, she whined. I want to get a ride to school, too. You stop, Ruth Grace, and get your little self out to the bus stop. But Mama, do as you're told, not as you will, young lady. Ruth Grace crossed her arms and stomped to the front door. You can stomp all you want, little miss, Mama called after her. She looked at me and put her hands on my cheeks. Are you okay, Man May? Yes, Mama, just sleepy, I guess. Will you run upstairs and get dressed? I put your clothes out for you last night. Okay, lickety-split, I've got a vacuum. Mama babbled on and on the whole way over, and all I could do was stare at her. Halfway through the drive, she caught me looking and stumbled to a stop. Amanda Mae, what's gotten into you? I blushed and smiled and looked down, trying to stifle my tears. Nothing, Mama. I, I just had a bad dream last night is all. She put her hand on the back of my head and patted my hair. It was just a nightmare, sweetie. I know. She pulled up to the curb in front of James Monroe High School. I heard the late bell ring. Here's a note, Mama said, handed to me as I got out. Don't forget your lunch. The secretary, a short fat lady with a poodle cut, scolded me for being late. You better get to Mr. Gomez's class. Mr. Gomez? Yes, your history teacher. Teacher? Mr. Gomez? I believe that's what I said, isn't it? Now, Scoot, I understand you have a quiz in there today. I counted the numbers on the classroom doors as I walked down the halls. I needed to find room 127. I was all the way down at 101. I'll tell you what, though. The posters on the walls freaked me out. All of them featured white boys and girls with red cheeks and crew cuts or bouffants playing sports or goose-stepping. Slogans were splashed across each one. Confederation. Conformity. Country. Facts in, facts out. Do as you're told, not as you will. One featured a girl wearing black leather pants and a black leather jacket walking her dog being assaulted by a group of cherubic boys in green uniforms. The dog was attacking one of them. One of the boys had his knee in the girl's back, and the slogan read, Subversion is sedition. The door slammed open in front of me, and Vlad Sokolov was dragged out by three young men wearing the same uniforms I saw on the poster. He was screaming, This is bullshit! Bullshit! I held my books to my chest and pressed myself against the lockers as they dragged him down the hall to the office. Vlad saw me, and his eyes went wide. Amanda, get out of here! Run! Get! One of the boys punched him in the stomach. Shut up, freak! They dragged him down the hall, head hanging. He shot one more terrified look over his shoulder at me before they turned the corner. Skipping class, Miss Amanda? I turned around and there stood Gomez Gomez. He was all dressed up in the same green uniform as them other boys. Gomez Gomez, is that you? He smiled, his teeth wide, white, and straight. That's right, Gomez Gomez. Where are you supposed to be? Um, your dad's class? Dad? Yeah, Gomer Gomez. Your dad. Gomez's face remained blank. He looked like he was about to kill me. Like he was angry that I knew something he didn't. His eyes swept left to right over and over, and then a grin broke out on his face. Yes, of course. Gomer Gomez, my father. You have a quiz in his class. This way. He clamped a hand on my arm. Come along. I didn't mind the Gomez family. I knew the twins since kindergarten. Our families have been going to the same community events, football games, and parades and the like for years but it wasn't like we was best friends. To be honest, Gomez kind of bothered me. He was a little slow, and when he felt like someone was smarter than him, he always tried to intimidate them, just like he was trying to do to me right then. Well, I wasn't going to let a twerp like him treat me like that, so I yanked my arm out of his grasp and punched him. Get your hands off me, Gomez! That silly smile disappeared from his face. Subversion is sedition. Subversion? Where'd you learn a big word like that? His face turned red. I'll tell you what, I'll go to class, but if you so much as lay a finger on me again, I'll break it. He seemed to struggle with several emotions all at once anger, embarrassment, fear, disgust. Then something weird happened. He shimmered. A ripple of green light rolled up from under his shirt and over his face, and for just a moment, I wasn't in school no more. I was lying on my back, staring up at a gray winter sky. It was cold, freezing actually. I gasped for breath like something was squeezing my chest, and there was a dog barking and growling nearby. And just like that, the scene disappeared and I was back in the hallway, looking at Gomez Gomez. Do you need to see the nurse? he asked. No, I'm... He reached out to grab my arm again, thought better of it, and stopped. You should come with me. I gathered my wits, forced myself to recover. I'm fine. I'm just going to go to class, Gomez, okay? I turned and walked away, a little unsteady. Room 127 was only a short walk down the hall. Daddy always said he wasn't the greatest student. He was smart but hated school. He liked playing football but didn't like the coaches. He earned C's and B's. Back in the 1950s, this meant they'd him into the vocational program, which was exactly to his taste. He knew what he wanted to do with his life, the farm. He and Mama didn't have too many pictures from high school. I've flipped through their photo albums about a hundred times, and all they had were black and whites of old family members, most of them dead. The ones I liked the most were from before me. Christmas 1965, that's when they got hitched. Honeymoon at Niagara Falls. There were a few snapshots of Spotsylvania High School, too. Back then, it was located where City Hall is now. There was one picture in particular that I really liked to look at. It was a shot of a classroom taken from the doorway. All the kids were sitting at their desks, attentive looking at their teacher, an old man dressed up in a shirt, tie, and jacket, pointing at a blackboard filled with writing. And that's the scene I walked into that morning, and it freaked me out. It freaked me out even more when all the kids looked at me at the same time, and Mr. Gomez, who was dressed in a tie and a short-sleeved shirt, turned around to greet me. Ah, this must be our new student. Class, say hello to our new student. And all together, all at once, all of them said, Hello, new student! I gave him a half-smile. Hi? We've just had a student withdraw, Mr. Gomez said, an unfortunate subversive. You may take his seat right there. He pointed at the only open desk in the room. It was in the back, under one of the huge windows. When I didn't move, Mr. Gomez snapped his fingers at me. Miss, do as you're told, not as you will. I felt the eyes of all the other students on me as I walked to the back of the room and sat down. Mr. Gomez returned to his podium. Now, where was I? Oh, yes, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Can anybody tell me the date of the attack? Every last one of them kids raised their hands, eagerly but wordlessly, waving them, desperate to be picked. Mr. Gomez pointed at the girl sitting at the desk in front of me. Sally, December 7, 1941. That is correct. Can anybody tell me about the United States' response? Um, Billy. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066 and restricted the rights of all Japanese Americans. Also correct. And does anybody know how the Japanese American community responded? The other students' faces fell. I looked around. Every last one of them was reading their notes, which they copied word for word from the blackboard. But evidently he hadn't told them what to think about that yet, so I raised my hand. Mr. Gomez smiled and pointed to me. Uh, Yes, miss? Amanda, the... Yes, Miss Amanda, you may speak now. Thank you. The Japanese didn't respond. They were arrested. The government rounded them all up and put them into internment camps. Mr. Gomez paused and tilted his head a little. His eye twitched. There was a girl sitting next to me, prim and proper, her hands folding on the desk in front of her, a big smile plastered on her face. She whispered, Stop, out of the corner of her mouth. Mr. Gomez chuckled. (laughs) Yes, That's certainly one way of looking at it, he said, rolling his eyes. All of the children laughed, all except me. No, that's the only way to look at it. The room fell silent, and the girl next to me whispered, stop, again. The Japanese, Mr. Gomez said, drawing out the end of the word, did what they were told. Isn't that right, class? Yes, Mr. Gomez. Oh, no, he did not. Not today. I didn't even think to raise my hand. Only because they were forced to, I said. Forced to? Is that what you call their voluntary relocation? These people were patriots. They did as they were told, not as they would. It is the central tenet of our belief system. He stomped over to the poster on the wall that said the same thing and pounded on it with his fist. Do as you're told! And the other kids repeated what he said. Do as you're told! I sat there, my mouth half open, staring at him in disbelief. A lock of Mr. Gomez's hair had fallen into his eyes, and he swiped it away, straightened his tie, gave the class a little smile. Now, Miss Amanda, wouldn't you say you agree? Agree with what? With what the Japanese Americans did, of course. They obeyed. It's easier to obey. It's easier to go along. That, Miss Amanda, is what this country is all about. That, Miss Amanda, is the very definition of patriotism. Wouldn't you agree? He had, while delivering this crazy speech, made his way down the row. And by the time he finished it, his face was inches from mine. I waited just a tick. Just enough time to draw the moment out a little longer. He smelled like the fields. Like earth. Like he'd been rolling around in the woods. His eyes were bright and green. I thought about doing something crazy to break the tension. Something like putting my finger in his ear or tweaking his nose and saying, boop. But in the end, I just answered his question honestly. No. It felt weird and awkward sitting in the waiting room in the main office of that crazy school waiting to get punished for telling the truth. The office was eerily silent and a couple of times I caught the secretary and a few of the guidance counselors staring at me. Why weren't the phones ringing? Why weren't they typing anything? The name played on the principal's door read Mr. Green and he'd left it open a crack. I caught a glimpse of Lad sitting in the chair across from Mr. Green's desk. He had his arms folded across his chest and he was glowering something fierce. I could hear Mr. Green scolding him. Don't understand what it is we're doing here, Mr. Sokolov, do you? You don't understand the importance of our mission. Vlad continued to glower. Mr. Green sighed. Okay, I can see this is getting nowhere. And without further word or warning, he opened his mouth wide, wider than I ever seen possible. His jaw unhinged and a nest of tentacles fell out. I jumped out of my seat and Vlad started to scream, but it was covered up by the fire alarm blaring in my ear. I spun around the run, and there was Gomez standing next to me. Fire alarm, Miss Amanda. He stepped aside and gestured to the door. Kids were walking in the hallway outside, gabbling excitedly as they left the building. I shot a look back at the principal's office, but the door was shut. I ditched Gomez as soon as we got outside, losing myself in the crowd. I found a place behind a boy who looked like a linebacker and tried to make myself small. You're too loud. It was a girl from class, the one who kept whispering to me. What? Kids who make it past the first day keep to themselves. They don't talk back, they don't disagree, they just stay quiet. Kids that don't, well... She nodded at the front door of the school. Mr. Green had just come out, followed closely by Vlad. We were standing under the trees only about 10 or 15 yards away so I could see him plainly. Vlad had changed. Gone was the rebellious slouch, the half-angry sneer, replaced by the same disturbing blankness all the other kids wore on their faces. The girl put a folded piece of paper in my hand. Come out to the bonfire at her camp tonight, okay? She slipped away, and I unfolded the paper to read what she'd written. Escaping, it read. Burn this. I was hoping to sneak into the house unnoticed, but the door creaked when I opened it, and Mama called out to me from the kitchen. Amanda, can you come in here? I pursed my lips. Damn. I'm just going up to my room. I have a lot of homework. Amanda Mae you come into this kitchen this very moment. Man, the gears in this town were well-greased, weren't they? I slumped into the kitchen where she was leaning against the counter. She was still fully made up despite working on the house all day long. Her hair was done, her clothes were pressed, and she was doing the dishes in a pair of shiny black flats. She looked like the most beautiful woman in the world. My amazement must have shown because the stern expression she wore on her face melted. Why are you staring at me like that? Nothing, Mama. It's just... it's just what? You're so pretty. She blushed, then quickly regained her composure. Do you know who I got a call from this afternoon? Yes, ma'am. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? Mama, he was lying about the war. Who, Mr. Green? No, Mr. Gomez, he was saying that the Japanese... I don't need to hear what he said. You disobeyed your teacher, and that is not okay. But mama, don't you but mama me. Wait until your father gets home. You go on up to your room and do your homework until he dies. I mean, does. Her face rippled, just like Gomez's had out in the hallway in school. Her skin flipped back and forth between green and skin-colored, and I swear I heard a dog barking over and over. I got dizzy and cold again, and I flipped back into the house, and Mama was there. But it wasn't her. She was an it. One of those things that Mrs. Mack had turned into. Her head was leaning back, and a nest of tentacles reached out of her mouth, squiggling in the air. Man, are you okay? The world swam back into focus. Mama was there. Her face was her face. Yeah, I'm just feeling a little sick. She put her hand on my forehead. Oh, honey, your eyes. ice cold. You need to get up to bed this instant. I didn't have the strength to fight back. I really did feel weak. And all of a sudden, my ears were ringing and my clothes were soaking and I heard a splattering sound. And Mama gasped. We both looked down. I'd wet myself. After a long, hot bath, I seemed to warm up a little more. But I was still shivering. I went to bed and slept for a while, and when I woke up it was almost dark outside. My parents were talking downstairs. I drifted back to sleep, waking again when my door opened and a crack of light fell on my eyes. Manda you up? It was Daddy. Mm-hmm. You hungry? Mama gave me some spaghetti to bring to you. Not just yet, Daddy. Okay. I'll leave it on your dresser. I kept my eyes closed, listening to him come into the room. I heard him set the tray down. I fell back asleep for a time, and when I woke up again, it was completely dark out. The bonfire. The memory shot into my head like a bullet. I sat up, feeling a lot better, and clicked on my bedside table light. My stomach crumbled, and I swung my legs over the side, suddenly starving. I couldn't remember the last time I ate. The dinner daddy brought me sat on the dresser, a bowl of spaghetti and a glass of milk. I went over and chugged the milk, finishing it off in five big gulps, and when I looked at the bowl, I let out a scream and then covered my mouth to cut it off. It was filled with worms, big, thick worms squelching around in blood. I knocked the bowl off my dresser and it landed on my rug and splattered all over the place. It took more than a few breaths to get a hold of myself, but when I was ready, I opened the door a crack to see if anybody was out in the hallway. It was clear, so I tiptoed out. Mama and Daddy were still downstairs, arguing in hushed tones. Daddy sounded like he was trying to be reasonable, and then Mama's voice cut through his with a short, Shut up, Bill! I stopped where I was. I'd never heard Daddy go quiet when someone talked to him like that. I crept to the top of the stairs to listen. Couldn't hear much at first. Nothing distinct. But then their voices rose again, Mama's being the loudest. It's not working. We have to move on to the next stage. Just give it a little more time. More time? How stupid are you? It should already be over. She's fighting it. I don't know how, but she's fighting it. I think you're missing the point. And what point would that be? That we're wasting our resources on this one girl. Why? Because of what she did. You remember what she did? Yes. She can lead them. You know that. You've seen it before. And now she's resisting. And if she's resisting, she's immune. You remember the last time that happened? I remember. If we don't get her now, I know. Look, did you see this? I found it in her pocket. There was a silence, then Daddy said, Who gave this to her? I don't know. There's another one out there, Bill. If they find each other... What are you doing? I gasped and spun around. It was Ruth Grace standing in the hall behind me. Going to the bathroom? No, you're not. You're eavesdropping. No, I... Ruth Grace pushed past me, heading for the stairs, but she only made it one step down before I grabbed her by the ponytail and yanked her back. She opened her mouth to scream, and I clapped my hand over it. Shut up, Ruth Grace, I hissed. She bit my hand, and I shoved the meat of my palm harder into her mouth. You shut up, or I'll... She flailed in my arms, harder and harder. She was so damn strong. I turned around, trying to force her back into her room, but she was jerking so hard I had to stop. I clamped my other arm down on her throat, cutting off her wind, but that just made her thrash around more like a cat on a leash. "'Ruth Grace, is that you?' Mama called. Ruth Grace's face turned pink, then red, and in one last-dish attempt to break free, she threw herself left and right, left and right. It was too much. I was still a little weak, and I couldn't hold on. She flew out of my arms, hit her temple on the railing, and collapsed face-first in a heap. Mama poked her head around the stairs, and I turned back around, trying to block Ruth Grace's body. Her foot was sticking out between my legs, so I nudged it behind me. "'Amanda, you're up. Feeling better?' Yeah. She gave me a look. Yes, ma'am. What was that noise? Were you and Ruth Grace fighting again? No, of course not. She's in the bathroom. I'm just waiting for her. Is she taking too long? Ruth Grace, you get out of the bathroom right now. It's fine, Mama. I don't have to. Nonsense, Amanda. Ruth Grace, do you hear me? She hears you. She just... Mama circled around the railing post and took a step up. Mama, she's fine. Amanda, stop yelling at me. I'm not yelling. Amanda Mayjet, what has gotten into you? She was halfway up the stairs now. I took two steps down so that we met face to face in the middle. Mama, I'm just so upset about getting in trouble and... She focused on something behind me. What's that? Our eyes met, and all of her concern, her carefully constructed concern, vanished. Her face rippled, her skin faded to a sickly green, and I felt nauseous again. Her jaw unhinged, and a tangled nest of tentacles fell out like a load of snakes. I knew what was going to happen next, and if I didn't do something, I'd be a goner for sure. So I reached out and grabbed one, squeezed as hard as I could. Her eyes widened and the nest buzzed and twisted and squirmed. One bit me, another one wrapped around my wrist. I grabbed another and squeezed, squeezed until I felt both burst. Green slime squirted through my fingers, burning my skin, and I grabbed two more. Mama clawed at my eyes, but I kept her at arm's length. Two tentacles reached from my face, their ends opening up to reveal two rows of fangs. A little trail of green gas filtered out, polluting the air with a moldy, mildewy smell. I yanked her head to the right and slammed her temple into the wall, and she weakened a little. So I threw my weight the other way and slammed her head into the other side. And that did it. The snakes went limp, and she slumped to the ground. What's going on up there? Daddy called. Nothing! The skin of my arms was burning, so I wiped them off on the carpet. Daddy's chair scraped against the linoleum. No time to do anything but run. I pounded down the stairs and straight out the front door. And when I was half a block away, I turned and looked over my shoulder. Daddy was standing in the doorway. It was cold out, colder than I first thought, and gravel and rocks bit into my freezing feet as they slapped on the asphalt. All the porch lights were out, but as I ran into town, they started to flick on one by one. Doors opened, forms appeared in the frames. I crossed Route 1 and aimed for downtown, slipping into the rhythm of the run. I'd trained for field hockey for the last three years, and I played soccer for five years before that. The exercise wasn't nothing new to me. Any of them crazy people wanted to try and run me down? Well, they were more than welcome. I headed up Princess Anne, cut right on to Hawk, and left on to Charles, slowing down when I reached Amelia. I could smell the bonfire by now, saw the smoke cloud in the night sky. Her camp came into view, the bonfire roaring and crackling, and it looked like the entire student body had come out to the park. I was only in my nightgown, but it wasn't too difficult to blend in. I wandered through the crowd, looking for the girl who slipped me the note, finally spotting her over near the fire department, talking seriously with a small group of other kids. I was about to head over to her when someone grabbed my arm and pulled me back. It was Gomez. He was still dressed up in that ridiculous uniform, only this time he'd added a gray-green overcoat. He was wearing an officer's hat, too. Black leather brim, yellow cords from temple to temple, and a death's head insignia underneath a strange-looking badge, a hive encircled by squirming tentacles. His eyes ran up and down my body, and he smiled. A little underdressed, aren't you, Miss Amanda? I think I've told y'all that I wasn't a big girl. But that didn't mean I was weak. And it didn't mean I'd never dealt with jerks like Gomez Gomez before. I smiled back at him and drew nearer. You like what you see, Gomez? He blinked, lips trembling. I I don't know what... I stood on my tiptoes and tilted my head. His breath smelled like mold. Would you like me to touch you? What? Finally, I thought. A chance to put all them self-defense classes daddy made me take to use. I followed the steps just like I'd been taught. I grabbed him by the back of the neck, pulled him close and, using him as ballast, launched my knee right into his balls. Gomez grunted and whelped, his eyes crossing as he sank to the ground. He didn't let go of my arm. Gotta give him credit for that. Fucking bitch! Oh, Gomez, I said. I know you don't really mean that. Then I brought my knee up again, hitting him right in the nose with a satisfying crunch. There were so many kids around us that I expected a few to notice, but None of them did. They closed in around him as he lay there on his back. I went over to the benches where the girl and her friends were standing before, but they weren't there anymore. I scanned the crowd and spotted them on the other side of the park, near the sidewalk on George Street. She turned around, seeming to look for something, hopefully me, and I waved, but she didn't see me. Hey! I cried, and then I realized I didn't know her name. Gomez stumbled out of the crowd, surrounded the bonfire. You bitch! He screamed. I'll get you! I ducked into a group of kids to my left, and they stopped talking and looked at me. I kind of smiled at them. Hi. None of them said a word. I peeked around the boy I was hiding behind and saw Gomez stumbling toward the firehouse. Dark forms appeared on the streets surrounding the park, moving slowly. She's here! One of the girls next to me said. Shut up! I hissed. One by one, they all pointed, saying, She's here! She's here! I backed away, heart pumping, and ducked into another knot of kids standing closer to the fire. The heat was so intense that I couldn't believe that they could just stand there. But they were. My feet were freezing and I hugged my arms around my body, shivering. I stumbled around, squeezing between couples, swerving around the naughtier groups, heading for the girl, not hearing anything except the sound of my own breathing. And when I emerged on the other side, she was gone. I turned around and every kid in the park was staring at me. They raised their hands as one and pointed. She's here! She's here! She's here! They surged forward. She's here! She's here! She's here! My throat constricted, and then I couldn't breathe. I fell on my knees, clawing at my throat. The kids continued to advance, and I crumbled to the cold earth, my eyes staring dead into space. The first of them, a girl, reached me and wrapped herself around my legs. A boy wrapped his arms around my torso. A different girl took my head, a fourth my throat. They were going to crush me to death. The dark forms closed in above, their hands shapeless shadows, and as they squeezed tighter and tighter, I thought, what a strange way to die. Then I thought, no, sir. No, sir, not today. I grabbed the hands that were crushing my windpipe and squeezed, pulling the thumbs back until they cracked. The faces above me suddenly filled with hate and rage, shimmered and scratched like watching a film strip go off the reel. A dog was barking in my ear. Their hands became slick and cold and slimy, and then I wasn't in the park anymore. I was on my back, staring up at the slate gray sky, pulling a tentacle off my neck. The collie was next to me, biting and tearing at it, shredding it with its teeth. It all became so clear to me. The gas had knocked me out, put me in their world. I slapped around for something to use as a weapon, a branch, a rock, anything. And my hand landed on something cold and hard and my heart leaped. Daddy's knife. The tentacle around my neck whipped away and shot into the air above. The end opened up, revealing two rows of sharp teeth. I held a knife up as it plunged and paling the thing. Green stuff oozed over my hand, burning my skin, but I didn't let go. I cut the head off and rolled to the side. Get out of the way! Someone yelled. I turned and looked, and there was a group of people surrounding me. Some were wearing military gear. Some were in jeans and hunting jackets. All of them were armed. M16s, rifles, revolvers. I gaped. Move! I did what I was told, and they opened fire. The tentacle exploded in a burst of green and purple meat. And when it was clear they had killed the thing, they stopped. The echoes of the gunfire receded into the morning, and I stood there, staring at them. Well, who the hell are you? The one in the lead was wearing an eye patch and a face mask, one of those black ones with the print of a skull on the front. It was supposed to make him look scary, but to me it looked silly, like he was a little boy dressed up for Halloween. He whistled and called for the dog. Maggie! Maggie May, come here, girl! The dog bounded over to him, tongue lolling. He kneeled down and let it lick him. Laughing, he pulled off the mask and my mouth dropped open. Ray? He smiled as he pet his dog, the one and only... The first deep frost hit us the next day. We all went out into the woods that morning and found a hive pushing up through the ground. The tentacles around it had all gone limp and gray. A few macks lay nearby, too, about as cold and dead as they could get. I poured kerosene on it and set the whole thing on fire. And we threw the macs on top and let them burn. For the next week, we searched the surrounding countryside. Every hive or mac we found was in the same condition. We burned them all. New Year's came and went. We celebrated with a raid on Mama Mac's trailer, burned it to the ground. Next morning, I went out to the edge of the property to visit Daddy's grave. Ray and Maggie May came with me. She loved running the perimeter, and I laughed as she sprinted along the fence, barking. I found the mound of earth and the cairn I made to mark where I buried him. I couldn't find anything in Maurice that looked remotely like a headstone, and I didn't want to make no hokey-looking wooden cross. Daddy wouldn't have liked it anyway, so I let it be. Maybe one day I'd figure out a way to mark it proper. This your dad? Ray asked. This is my dad. The wind blew and I turned my face into it, inhaling deeply. It smelled like snow. I was standing a little behind Ray and I could see the swelling and scars around his eye patch. The right side of his head was smooth and shiny where there should have been hair, and he caught me looking. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He asked. Me finding you? Well, how did you? Luck, I guess. If Maggie May wasn't such a runner and if you hadn't freed her, we might have missed your place altogether. Maggie May came over and licked my hand. I scratched her behind the ears. Best dog I ever knew. Wait until she wakes you up in the middle of the night barking at the wind. You won't think so highly of her then. Ray, I thought you'd be mad at me. Why aren't you? It took a while before he responded, but I let him have the time. It wasn't your fault. Wasn't my fault? You cried for help. I had a machine gun. We shouldn't have taken you like that. Your dad was sick. I was already shaking my head. I left you there to die. I don't hold it against you. There aren't too many of us left, you know, and we're stronger together. A few flakes fell from the sky. One lighted on my nose and I stuck out my tongue. You think maybe they'll come back in the spring? He asked. Maybe. What'll we do then? I stared at Daddy's grave for a while, then squinted into the distance, trying to see where Maggie May had run off to. I don't know. I said, I guess we'll fight. Thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras including access to bonus material, uh the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh customized short stories, and if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive great again, one of my favorite chapters from The Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season, it's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So, if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtales. That would be fantastic, and I will see you guys next week.